1 John 2.13, I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. Romans 8.35 37, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Romans 5, 17, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 10, Be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith and in the knowledge that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you've suffered a little while, The God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you, secure you, strengthen you, and establish you. Romans 16, 19 through 20. Be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. These are all the word of the Lord. There's a a theme running through all of these passages and it's this idea of us not surviving the devil's attacks, but overcoming them. You hear it? Not surviving it, not enduring it, overcoming, or overcoming sin and death even, or being more than an overcomer through Jesus who loves us. So I'd like to talk about a warring mindset A warring mindset is the mindset that says, I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to do the mission no matter what because my assignment wasn't conditioned upon how I feel or how things are going or what setbacks I encounter. The assignment is, and it's unconditional. And I will get up and I will do the assignment. That's that mindset. That's a disciplined mindset. It's a warring mindset. My assignment, the marching orders of my general, are unconditional And this is not fake, this is not a test, this is not a trial run, this isn't a game. This counts. We're on the clock, and every moment we're playing against the clock. And it's all being recorded, and we'll speak for eternity. Reading a book by a guy named Jocko Willink. And Jocko, uh, well, the book's called Discipline Equals Freedom. It's fascinating. I love Jocko. He's a, a decorated Navy SEAL who led task unit bruiser in Iraq, and uh, specifically the Battle of Ramadi. Ramadi. Uh, There was one of his, um, the folk that was in his little group, they made that, uh, come on, that uh, documentary, not a documentary, a movie about him, he was a sniper, Chris, uh, come on, somebody help me out. Yeah, 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 he was in this guy's guy's little little unit in Task Force uh, Bruiser, anyway. Jocko writes this book. It's not really informational or educational. It's more of exhortation. Like, this book reads like it's poetry. What I mean is he wastes a lot of paper and doesn't use a lot of ink. Like, he'll write a whole paragraph as, like, one phrase. 
And then he'll just like, it's all, you, but, and it's, it, the reason is he wants you to hear his book as though it were spoken like a speech, not, do you know what I mean? Like you can't speed read his book and hear it the correct tone. You got to have that inner voice reading. If I were a beat down boxer sitting in the corner in between rounds, I would want Jocko to be the one yelling in my ear. You know what I mean? Because his, his words would be the exact thing that I would need to hear to urge me on. He would plead with me. He would exhort me to rise above my bigger, stronger opponent and crush him. It, he has the tone of what I kind of did enjoy, but also simultaneously was annoyed by, with Promise Keepers. Y'all remember Promise Keepers? You ladies didn't remember it because you weren't allowed. Um, <laughs> It was the same thing I enjoyed at Promise Keepers but got tired of. It's the bravado. It's the dripping of testosterone and uh, chest thumping. Um, And maybe even lacking mercy for people who um, need to cut themselves some slack. But here's the thing. Um, Giving in to weakness leads to weakness. And what I sometimes long for is a gritty voice shouting in my mind when my legs are weak and my muscles are shaking and I'm struggling to get my breath. I hear a voice inside me yell, just don't quit. And if you you feel like not doing it today, that's the day you absolutely have to do it. Because it leads to more weakness tomorrow. I, I know that we all need tender affection and hard-nosed discipline from our fathers. We might not know we need both and we might gravitate to one or the other, but we actually need both. I remember my first appointment with Dr. Fred Antonelli where I poured out my heart and he listened for what seemed like a full hour while I shared and cried and at the end, he said, wow, that's quite a baptism you're undergoing. Well, you're normal. This is normal. This is gospel ministry everywhere in every age. Now get up and fight. And that was it. That was our whole session. I went back. I, that's all I needed. Because part of what it was, was, am I doing something wrong? Should it be this hard? Am I failing? Am I off mission? Is there something wrong with me? Why, Why is this so hard? Why don't they like me? They don't like anybody who preaches the gospel. Whoever they is, is irrelevant. Get on with it, my man. Get up. Shake yourself free and press on, young man. You're doing just fine. Six months later, I went back, and all we did was talk about classic rock, and he told me his story, and then he was like, why are you even here? Don't come back until you need to. Have you ever had anyone, any a professional counselor who lives off your money when you come, tell you don't come back? That's fun. <laughs> okay. I'll come back in a couple, you're really a mess. Come back every day. I'm kind of low on patience. Got so many issues. Jocko, in his book, he talks about the difference between being aggressive and being proactive. Uh, Being proactive means moving forward and anticipating. Uh, Proactive would be the opposite of being passive.
passive. Passive is just seeing how this will turn out. I'm going to hang out here and we're just going to wait and see. Maybe it'll just be okay. Proactive is like if you, if you know the enemy's going to attack there, you're going to go there and you're going to strengthen that. The defense is there. That's proactive. But aggressive is different. Aggressive includes proactivity, but it's a difference of attitude and degree. Jocko said, if I know my enemy will attack here, I'm aggressive. I'm not just going to strengthen my defenses there. I'm going to set up a counterattack that takes what they think is my weakness and makes it my opportunity to crush them. I like that. Zion said to me this week, you know, Dad, offense is actually a form of defense. And I said, you're right, boy. You're right. This really reminds me of something that a story Tammy told in her message a couple weeks back. She talked about a concentration camp prisoner who, while most of the other prisoners were asking the question, how will I survive this? This young man was asking the question, how will I escape? How will I survive this? Versus how will I escape? And, you, and maybe you remember the story of he noticed that they were carting out the dead bodies to be dumped and he saw his opportunity and he hid behind the you know, truck and stripped down naked and crawled in among the dead bodies and played dead. And then walked nude 20 miles in the snow or whatever. That's how I imagine it. I don't know if there was snow. Um, but I watched a video in my mind. And I love that. That, the, the, that he was asking a different question and because he was asking a different question, he was noticing different information and his, his mind and his attitude were poised differently in the same circumstance. And this is this thing of passivity, proactivity, and aggression. They're all asking three different questions. Is this going to turn out okay? What do I need to do to keep moving forward? How can I capitalize on this and crush my enemy? That's, I, I, like, that's interesting to me, those three different questions. So I kind of wonder how often we think of the fight we're in, the spiritual warfare that we're in every day. I, want, I wonder how often we think of our spiritual warfare as something to survive or endure rather than overcome. Are you with me? And I don't know what the application points are to you, but I suspect if I asked you today, where is the enemy at work in your life or in your community, you would be able to identify a few things that your gut is telling you Satan's attacking here and here. Your gut knows some stuff. And my question to you is, that area where your gut is telling telling you Satan is attacking, what would it look like to be aggressive there? Not just proactive, aggressive. A while back, I guess it was a couple years now, Brian Zook and Dennis Hattuzis taught up here on spiritual warfare, and Brian's main theme was that our spiritual warfare is to move in the opposite spirit of what the darkness is doing. Whatever the evil one is doing, we move in the opposite spirit. I find that really interesting. I think it would make a really fascinating study of the Gospels to just read, like say Matthew, for example, read Matthew with that lens, with that question, how is Jesus moving in the opposite spirit of the Pharisees, of the political spirits, 
of the demons, of the sick? Like, how is he moving in the opposite spirit as he is pushing back the kingdom of Satan? Because that's what he came to do, to destroy the devil's works. It would be just an interesting study. I haven't done the study. I just think it would be interesting. But just as I thought about this, you know, Jesus' last hours, how did he move in the opposite spirit? Because this is warfare, and this is kind of what it comes to, okay? Just here's what I came up with real quick, with just his last few days. Knowing all his disciples would deny him, he washed their feet. Knowing that they would all flee and break covenant with him, he sat down and he had a covenantal meal. That's, yeah, it's really interesting. Standing before all those accusations, he's silent. When mocked and spat upon, he speaks forgiveness. And then his murderers are later met with an invitation to return back into right fellowship. The apex of the opposite spirit. Everything about Jesus is moving in the opposite spirit here. It's almost as if Satan's tempting people to sin against God in the hopes that God will come to hate them. It's almost like he's provoking people to try to provoke God. But love ends up shining out all the clearer. I often wonder what, what, (laughs) what will become of us because of all we've been through. But, but the wisdom of God is to take the, the enemy's worst attack and turn it into his greatest victory over darkness. The cross and the resurrection being like the pinnacle, shining example of that. But God does that all over the place. So I often wonder, what's going to become of us, of all the stuff that has happened? My fear is that it's ruining us. But when I take time to listen to what the Lord's saying, he says, it's not breaking you, it's making you. You're not getting harder. You're getting more meek. You're not getting harsher, you're getting more gentle. You're not giving up and running out of steam. Your endurance level is rising. You're not failing, you're persevering. You're still standing. Now keep going. Heaven is cheering you on. Just a few words here. Self-pity, ownership, decision, and follow-through. Self-pity is foolish weakness. Foolish because it solves nothing and it only does harm to you and others. Self-pity is what we're talking about. Self-pity is weakness because it's a losing strategy that's employed by losers or maybe winners who have temporarily fallen into a loser mindset. But self-pity is absolutely worthless. So snap out of it. If you need a hug, get a hug. And then get up and wash your face, tie your boots and ask, okay, what now? What's my next step, Jesus? Self-pity. Ownership. Ownership is so critical. 
you are allowed to complain if you have ownership. And only if you have ownership. Here's why. Ownership means that you are going to own these problems and solve these problems and pay the cost to make things work right. Without ownership, the complaining is just looking for someone else to blame without actually saying, I'm going to fix this. Ownership means you're going to take responsibility for what you see and and actually do the hard work. No ownership is, again, it's victim thinking, it's loser thinking, it's just grumbling, that's what the Bible calls it. It's toxic to everyone who does it and to everyone who hears it. So when you find yourself complaining, catch yourself, catch yourself, and either move to create a solution or shut up, because if you don't, you are literally doing the devil's work. You are seeding your home environment, your church environment, your work environment with demonic energies. And your weakness is going to argue and say, first off, that's just too much work to have to actually solve these problems because then I'd have to collaborate with other people who don't share my values and then I don't think I'll be able to get them to go along with me anyway so it's just easier to say these things and that'll release my steam. But that's actually lazy and defeatist. Ownership, of course, does mean more work. But if it's worth complaining about, it's worth fixing. So let's just allow ourselves to complain. Provided we're on the way to fixing this problem. Otherwise, again, shut up. You're doing the devil's work. All right, if it's worth complaining about, it's worth fixing. So I said, self-pity. Ownership, yes. Decision. Decision, 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 decision. When will the change come? Consideration is good, but consideration doesn't bring the change. Research is good, but research doesn't bring the change. Knowledge is good, but knowledge doesn't bring the change. Consideration, research, knowledge, those are all very important because sometimes without doing them, you can't make a decision. But if the change hasn't happened yet, it's because you haven't decided yet. It might seem overly simplistic, but the reason you didn't do that thing that you said you wanted to do is because you didn't decide to do it. We are so good at complicating what's very simple. Grace enables choice. Grace enables me to do what God says I can do. No excuses. Some of the complications are simply us trying to dignify our lack of making the decision. Something to think about. I feel like I should shorten up. Follow through. I'm going to skip this point. I had a whole bunch of stuff on follow-through. It had to do with integrity, especially people who like run businesses and things. Um, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else comes from the evil one. There, that's the short version. All right. Fight Club for Men. My dad told me about a church up in northern Indiana that has what they call Fight Club for Men, where they get three strikes and they're out with no chance of getting back in until the next new year. They have to memorize scripture. They have to exercise. They have to show up. The first meeting is at midnight. They try to make it inconvenient and annoying because if it's easy, it won't, like, that's not, you don't need, you, you don't need easy. You need hard. Especially men, we need hard. We need to do hard things. We need to know that we're doing hard things and we won't respect ourselves unless we've done hard things. This is why it's important for us to do hard things every day. If you get that mental win of knowing that you're not a sissy and that you're not a wuss and that you're not a quitter 
and you beat something hard and you respect yourself, it creates a momentum in your life. I don't know how women are. I'm not a woman. I'm a man. I relate to this so strongly. I can't overestimate. I can't explain to you so strongly, strongly enough, how much I love what I'm saying right now. And I'm not talking about extending this to any other person around you. I'm talking about how you're treating the weakness within yourself. This isn't about the person next to you. And if you're thinking about someone else while I'm preaching this, please stop. Think about you. Okay? But my dad said that their church tried to do a sissy version of Men's Fight Club where they were really nice to people and they didn't make them do anything or, or, or agree to do anything or memorize anything or do anything hard or exercise or anything. And if they, didn't, if they missed a couple meetings, it's okay. So they met like four times in the whole year and they accomplished a jack squat and nobody changed. Because it has to be hard if it's going to do anything in your life. Isn't that interesting? So interesting to me. Men's Fight Club says, let me show you how we're going to show you grace. This is our grace to you. Our grace to you is to stop giving you allowance for the weakness in your life that you are permitting. Our grace is to partner with the Holy Spirit whose fruit is not apathy, not laziness, not weakness, not quitting, not cutting you slack, not making excuses, and not comparing yourself to others. Our grace is the fruit of being led by the Spirit of God, which leads to self-control. Our grace is to call you to bring the parts of yourself under the rulership of your spirit as your spirit is saying it's yes to God's spirit. Your body and soul are told where they can park it and when they can get up and how fast to march by your spirit. They can talk, but they do not get an actionable vote. We care what they think, we care how you feel, but we won't be ruled by them. Rather, we're here to get them to learn how to think like Jesus, not find out what they think and bless that nonsense. Again, this is all happening within yourself. This is not happening to the person next to you. You with me? We're almost done. You can, you can breathe. If you're holding your breath, brace for all these arrows of like slapping. Or what, or arrows of slapping? That would be an interesting metaphor. These arrows come with hands attached. <laughs> I was reading about Jesus' final night, and he says, watch and pray with me an hour, and his boys don't do it. And he's palpably angry and disappointed with them. Jesus was laboring in prayer in order to submit his body and his soul to his spirits, yes. And in the middle of that struggle, he wanted their help. He wanted their encouragement, or at the very least, he wanted their companionship. Nobody should have to suffer alone, not even Jesus. So he went back several times, and they're sleeping. And he was hurt and frustrated, and he expressed his hurt and frustration at his boys. And his final phrase on the matter was sarcastic. Sarcastic. Listen, are you still sleeping and resting? Fine, get your sleep then. But look, my betrayer's here. That's sarcasm. Fine, get your sleep then, but also get up because it's over. Fine, get your sleep then, but then get up. That's sarcasm, guys. He was frustrated and hurt. Why? Why is he frustrated and hurt? Because they're not disciplined and because they're not disciplined they're not there for him in the clutch when he's depending on them this is Jesus I'm a grace guy like I'm a grace guy you know me I'm all about grace I think Jesus is more about grace than I am and this is how he's expressing himself to his boys he has expectations that There will be certain actions and characteristics in his best friends, who they were to be for him and who they are to be for each other. 
This is about something deeper than feelings. This is about covenant, meaning it's more, it's more deep than just how he felt in the moment. It's about what does love do in community, in relationship, in covenant. This, 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 this environment rings of covenant. And to be a band of brothers is a sacred thing. It's a wartime bond, and it means laying down your lives and being there in the clutch, and it requires mind over matter, spirit over flesh, spirit over soul. What I said I would do over what I feel like doing now that it actually comes down to it. That's pretty much my whole talk. This isn't really a sermon for y'all. This is just a pep talk for me. But I suspect if I find it helpful, maybe some of you will. Now, some of you probably take it in the wrong spirit and, and think, you know, I can't wait till he gets back to preaching the gospel again. But be honest with yourself and with Jesus. Are there, are there, is, there, are there we, is there weakness in your life that there's a little joyful soldier in your heart that would get super excited and wake up going, oh, good, finally, when you decide to go with your better intuitions and arrange your life to fight this fight correctly. Doesn't, isn't there a little joyful, some, some joyful part of you that wakes up and says, ha, 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 it's on now. Here we go. No? Like when I was running in 13 degrees the other night and there was ice in my beard. For real, ice. Like that, that just, come on. That doesn't get you excited? I did that. Okay. But this sermon isn't for somebody else, it's for you. It's not for the person next to you, it's not for the person who you wish were here listening to this, it's not for the, you know what I'm saying, it's for you. When it comes to other people, we can't fix them and we can't control them. On a really good day, you can be self-controlled. I'm on a really good day. You know, I'm super excited. I fulfilled about 30% of my uh, 2017 intentions. That is amazing. That's a, that's a huge upgrade. Some people would be like, oh, we didn't do everything on our list. Dude, I make the list and cross things off. Sometimes I'll put things on the list that I just did that weren't on the list so I can feel good about it. <laughs> I, instead, of, instead of saying, man, I totally didn't even get the things on my list. Well, what did you do? You cleaned the toilet, you wiped the butt, you cleaned up some vomit, you took out the trash 14 times. Put that on the list. Come on. All right. But self-control, man, this is not about manipulating anyone else around you. Self-control is a huge accomplishment. Don't wait for people around you to get healthy before you are committed to taking action and getting healthy. That's just another excuse. I read about a married couple that every time the wife tried to change, the husband would sort of hijack that change. Like for an example, uh, she decided to go out to a social event that he, he was feeling too down and dumps and too you know, regressed or whatever, introverted. So I don't know what you call it. That's how I get. I'm like, I don't want to go. And she said, I have decided to go. Well, that's interesting, isn't that I have decided I'm going. If you would like to come, you may. I leave at such and such a time. You know what his response was? Why are you always trying to control me? Now, now this is where it really matters. If she goes and lets him deal with himself, she's gone a long way, and she's provided an opportunity for him to start taking some new responsibilities for his behavior. She gives in. She's like, all right, you guys are smart. You figured out. 
Why are you always trying to control me? <laughs> wow. Someone isn't smart. But the best way you can help those around you is to not wait for them to get healthy, but respond in the opposite spirit, and you get healthy. If there's any weakness to crush, it's your own. It's mine. It's not my wife's weakness or my children's or my brother's. The blind can't lead the blind. My weakness must be crushed. So, may God give us grace and strength to hear whatever it is he is highlighting and know that his love is for us. We can be overcomers in these fights. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Go in peace. Oh, wait, we have food too, don't we? Yeah, enjoy food in peace.